Welcome to episode number 220 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan. With me today is the cast of Saved by the Bell Reboot, Michael and Jill. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Time out. Why Saved by the Bell? Let's, 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 could you clarify <laughs> what this one is? That was because... a nice callback there, Michael. The whole time out with Zach and all that. Oh, yes. I mean, one of my favorite shows of, of, wait, I can't admit to that. I hate Saved by the Bell. It was stupid. Oh. It was, it, oh, wait, no, I liked it, it. at the time, it. it was like, uh, it, it made sense at the time. I mean, I remember watch, watching the show when I, when I was like 10 or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I like that show going back. Uh, maybe not so much. It but, doesn't age well, does uh, it? No, it no. doesn't. No. no. <laughs> But, but it's it, fun when you're a teenager, that's yeah. for sure. And, and, and I, when, when you put this in the notes, I was like, wait a minute. Why is it? Is there a reboot of this? And turns out there is a reboot of it. And uh, indeed, I haven't Thank seen goodness. it yet, but I, I, I'm very curious. I, I think why. it's going to be great. I think it's going to yeah. be an amazing show. But the reason I wanted to bring in Saved by the Bell in this episode is it actually ties into our show. Because this week's episode is all about the past meeting the present. We have the famous Jill's treasure hunt. Of course, I pick when I'm hosting the show to bring one of the most popular segments we have back because it makes it easier on me because we got Jill here with the treasure hunt. Good call. To, to go through her museum of computers <laughs> to share one of her favorite tech toys. Yay. We're also going to discuss the past and present with a Unix-based OS that's making a comeback. Then we cover some news on Wayland that's going to be making a lot of content creators out there happy, including me. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Hey, Ryan, before we get into the section, because uh, we're going to do some community feedback because we have a really great email in the community feedback that we wanted to talk about. But before we do that, I have to point out something. You made a fantastic video on your channel or it's basically like an essentials guide for online privacy. So for those who haven't heard about it, give you like an elevator pitch about what it is because they, I think they absolutely should. I mean, I made out. a video. What else do I need to know? Of course. Um, <laughs> this video is actually really cool. So I worked with an InfoSec engineer to come up with a list of privacy practices that and security practices that people could implement and it's really a masterclass from beginning to end, kind of covering a whole variety of things, whether you're in-person shopping online, you're traveling on your own home personal computer, and it works for everybody. Linux or not, you can implement these steps. Of course, much easier on Linux, especially when we talk about things like encryption and stuff, but it's really for everybody. And the whole idea behind it is a lot of these videos and things out there about privacy and security go so deep, even some of the books I read, that at the end of it, you're practically unplugging the internet and wearing a tinfoil hat and sitting in the corner sucking your thumb. You don't get to enjoy any of the technology. And what this video, kind of the parameters I put around it when I was working with this engineer was, hey, I want it to something that anybody can implement. You don't have to know the terminal. You don't have to know programming. You don't have to understand how networking works. Everyone can watch this video, implement these practices, and be better off than they are today. And so that's kind of the whole design behind this video and its presentation style, which is very different from my channel normally. It's a whole kind of Libra office presentation, presentation, PowerPoint. I want to say, I don't want to say PowerPoint. It's Libra it's, office it's, it's, presentation, it's, presentation. It's, it's, yeah. And, and so, you know, but it just goes through very easy to implement security solutions for everyone. And the feedback from the community has been awesome. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I appreciate that. 
Thank you for bringing that up. Nice. Yeah, because uh, it's definitely, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, Essentials Guide. Let's see how essential, oh, wow, this is, okay. I have to, we have to get more people to know about this because this is a very yeah. good video. Well, I was surprised because a lot of people I respect in the community. One of our patrons, Mouse, even mentioned earlier that they had, there were some things in there that they found useful. And that, that that's a big deal when you get the experts and people who are really knowledgeable saying, hey, there's something I learned in there. That was pretty cool, getting that kind of feedback. We also got some feedback from the community, Michael. Uh, Matt writes us. And what did Matt have to say? Well, Matt says, hi, DL folks. That interview with Neil McGovern was great. Keep up the good work and keep bringing the interviews. I enjoy listening to them. And real quick, just to respond to that, we are going to be having some new interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. So be sure to good subscribe. One. And there's you're, de mm -hmm. you're definitely not going to want to miss those. Uh, and uh, also, he says, uh, yesterday, I upgraded my laptop from Fedora 33 to Fedora 34 beta to try out GNOME 40. And I love it. The Fedora yes. and GNOME team put in a lot of work to make a polished experience out of the box, and it shows. Kudos all around to both teams. So if, if you missed episode 219, last week we talked about what's coming up in Fedora 34 beta since the beta released. Uh, and suffice it to say, we are all excited for this release. And based on Matt's feedback, I think it's clear Matt is also excited. And, I, yeah. and Matt goes on to say, I don't think I would change a single thing about GNOME 40 right now, other than the tray icons are still needed for certain apps like Discord and Steam. See, I agree with this. I totally agree, I agree with, with this mm -hmm. entirely. Yeah, it, It's one of the few things where it's like, yeah, I, I do have to disagree that GNOME's decision to not have system trays. Uh, no, let's bring that back. As far yeah. as uh, Fedora 33 goes, uh, for Fedora 34 beta goes, Matt says that it seems pretty solid right now, even as far as betas go. I continue to be pleasantly surprised that the upgrade process for Fedora is so smooth when going from ma one major version to the next. Cheers, Matt. Uh, so I, I think that there's a like a lot of stuff to, to unpack here in terms of like the the beta, and a lot of people don't want you know when people look at the word beta, they kind of think is it worth checking out because maybe it's too scary. And the the point that Matt made about the uh, going from major version to major version, even going from 34 or 33 stable to 34 beta, it, and it, how the transition was so smooth. It is a, a very good point that I experienced myself too. Yeah, I kind of struggle sometimes because you can send the wrong message. I mean, a beta is just that. It's beta software and that's how right. it should be treated. I know a lot of people in the community are saying, well, it's so solid. I use it on my production system and things. But I feel like it wasn't so long ago we were fighting that narrative and saying, hey, when it says beta, don't use it on your production systems because it's going to have bugs and issues. And so mm -hmm. yeah. I want to go back to that world where beta is that. So I know they do really awesome in this beta software. And I'm so happy that people are getting involved in testing, not only for the Ubuntu week, but for the Fedora uh, testing weeks out there and getting all these bugs reported. But and, and it's a super solid distro. I absolutely love it. I still feel like, hey, until it comes out of beta, don't run it on a production machine, but definitely get out there and help, whether it's Ubuntu, Fedora, both help with this testing week, because yes. this is the yeah. thing that's going to make the difference of whether these distros are successful or not, is finding these booting issues, finding these random issues with certain video cards, sound cards, issues. We got all kinds of new stuff loaded in Fedora, like Pipewire and things by default. So a lot of True. testing needs to be done to make sure that it's really solid on this release. But clearly, the team's already done an amazing job. Yep. I mean, clearly. Very very responsible of you, Ryan. And I agree completely that most of the time, betas, you should be taking consideration <laughs> it is a beta. And it does yeah. mean that stuff will be, break, will be potential breakage. Not that it will break, but that it has potential for it more so than when it's a stable release. 
Uh, but I just wanted to give you like a quick story because when we first started, you know, testing out Fedora, this was like uh, mid last, late last year, maybe uh, we started looking into Fedora more uh, as a show, just because we were curious about like trying out new distributions. And we all had different uh, experiences with different DEs and different distros and all that stuff. And we all independently decided to start trying out Fedora and it just happened to be. Wait, I thought Neil tricked us. No. Uh, well, I mean, that, that is a narrative that I've I've heard myself say right. many times. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is uh, very interesting because when I tried it, I tried the Fedora 33 beta as the first time I tried the you know the the re a, mm-hmm. reassessment of Fedora because uh, I have tried Fedora over the years many times. But when we when I tried that, it was kind of like I wanted to play with the ButterFS stuff. So I s- installed the beta for the purpose of testing out the ButterFS thing, and then I just kept using it you just stayed there yeah. yeah i still currently am on the one that i installed as a beta and it's been solid which is one of the reasons i wanted to you know cover this particular feedback because uh it's an impressive effort that fedora has put in to improve their update and upgrade mechanisms and stuff like that because i remember a, a long time ago there were some issues with the upgrades and this one has been mm-hmm. so solid for me and uh but i do also want to reiterate there's a very good point that ryan made the the fact that it's a beta still needs to be kept in mind because betas are you know more susceptible to change because that that's the whole point of them you know you right. may you may experience some issues you may experience uh, some t- differences in the future but uh, in the case of Fedora I think their betas are very impressively solid yeah yep. very solid I was so impressed with how well Wayland and Pipewire and and GNOME forty work out of the box together. Yes. You know. This just shows you you can make <laughs> you can make risky changes in mm-hmm. a distro because it's risky to replace the entire sound subsystem uh, inside of a distro and oh, yes. the file system <laughs> and having Wayland by default, which they've done they did previously. But these are risky moves, yeah. and you can still have stability with these risky moves. And I think a large large part of that though lands on us as a community to get out there and test this stuff. So please do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I am actually, uh, because of last week, I ended up uh, signing up to the Telegram group for Ubuntu Testing Week. Nice. nice. And I've done it in the past, but but um, I, you know, do um, actually every cycle, you know, I go through the betas. Well, you certainly have enough and, computers, Jill. Yeah. Well, we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. Fill it with some coffee or bubbly. Sit down on your nearest stool. It has to be a stool because that's Michael approved. And send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join the community on discussions, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform. But I want to pause there because DigitalOcean just went public. They're now an IPO out there. That's Really, really exciting news for DigitalOcean to have a company like this come in and the growth potential out there for them. So congratulations to DigitalOcean. Also, congratulations on this awesome app platform, which is a service solution to build modern cloud native apps. So basically, if you have an app, DigitalOcean is going to be able to host this for you by just you uploading it. You simply point your GitHub GitHub repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It handles the infrastructure, the app runtimes, dependencies, so you can push code to production in just a few clicks. You can secure your apps automatically. They create, manage, and renew your SSL certificates. 
which that in itself is worth it by how many companies have issues with renewing the SSL certificates? I mean, it's a big common. problem. It yeah. is really common. Uh, that alone, and also protects you against DDoS attacks. Run code with little to no customization. App Platform uses open cloud-native standards and automatically analyzes your code, creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. The other thing I want to mention here is DigitalOcean's also amazing for just setting up cloud-based servers. You want next cloud servers. You want to go run some uh, different test servers and things for different applications. They have a thousand cloud agnostic tutorials out there. So if you're not interested in the app platform, definitely check out their other services that they offer on DigitalOcean. And they're going to give you $100 credit to do so. Just go to do.co slash DLN. They're going to give you $100 credit. Going to that website tells them that we sent you there. So you help us help them help you help us all. You get a hundred bucks <laughs> at the end of the day. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. All right, Jill, take us into the treasure hunt. What do you have for us today? Okay. Everyone's going to, a lot of people are going to know what this is. <laughs> that looks like a laptop. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the computer that started the whole netbook craze of small, low-cost, versatile machines that ran Linux. This is the beloved Asus EPC 701 4G netbook. <laughs> wow. Nice. You have one in your hands there. Look yes. how thick it is. Yes. <laughs> it's so tiny and adorable. <laughs> it, it's super it thick. Is, I had to... Yeah. I had to have this actually. Um, my husband pre-ordered it for me for for the Christmas of that year, so um, definitely have the had to have this, and because <laughs> I was squeeing over it actually, <laughs> <laughs> a little baby laptop that runs Linux. <laughs> so did this come with Linux natively, or did you have to add Linux to it? I assume you had to add Linux to it. Um, uh, no, it came with Linux na natively. Oh wow, nice. I didn't so, know that. Um, but first off, this is actually um, one of the very first and smallest ASU EPC netbooks introduced in, um, on October 16th, 2007 for $399. And um, uh, for those of you out there who don't know, the E in EPC stands for easy to learn, easy to work, easy to play. <laughs> I like that. I didn't know I should that. adopt that as their tagline, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you had a choice of five colors, black, white, pink, green, and blue. And I had a hard time deciding between the, the pink or the green. And I went with green because I have so much pink. <laughs> it looks white from it here, though. white from this, yeah. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. I thought, oh, there, there we go. It's a lime There's green. green. Yeah, now I now. see the lime green. And I got my uh, Tux decal on there, of course. <laughs> Very cool. What kind of, what Linux did it come pre-installed with? Okay, so it uh, originally uh, came with Xandros Linux pre-installed. Interesting choice. Um, and then, yeah. So, but in 2008, the next year, Asus released a pre-installed Windows XP Home Edition version. Mm, sadness. Mm. No. <laughs> Right. But you could still get the Xandros uh, version for uh, through quite a few of the models. Now, do we know if this sold very well? I assume it may not have if they next year they went to the Windows PC version. But was this popular when it came out? Actually, remember? extremely. In fact, it was uh, uh, so popular that you could go to Best Buy to, or Toys R Us 
And they actually had a whole, at Toys R Us, they had a whole room of them and competing netbooks you could buy in different sizes with different colors and many with Linux pre-installed. Talk about bringing the past to the present, Toys R Us. Yes. And what was so cool is so many of us in the community thought that this might be the year of the Linux desktop because of the success of the EPC. But the Xandros desktop, you know, wasn't well liked by the general public and, you know, who mostly bought the XP versions instead. But they were complaining, of course, because XP runs slow on it. Obviously, right. the Linux version one ran beautifully, but since it was a foreign environment, you know, for for people to uh, um, use, they weren't used to you know Linux, <laughs> the Linux version. It what what was cool was the Xandros was actually a tab based ICE window manager desktop built from scratch using Xlib and the Qt four point five toolkit. And but you had the option of installing the full desktop version or or put it in advanced mode, which was a KDE three desktop with a few modifications performed by hmm. Xandros. So you know I liked I liked the original Linux that was on here, but I had to stay <laughs> take it up uh, one step and well I I rolled my own distro for it. <laughs> oh, you made your nice. you made your own distro. <laughs> yes. Wow, so Jill's very open. own. Can we get a copy of that? Because I want to try Jill's distro. It's called Jillix. Jillix. I love it. Nice. Does that mean Destination Linux by default has our own distro now? Yeah. I one, yeah. Yeah, Jillix. Everyone needs to download Jillix. So this is uh, Jillix. It's Window Maker. And see, I have a lot Naturally. of doc apps there. Some of some of them were I um, did have heavily modifications on them, but I did a Debian based and then built on top of that to make a nice, um, quick, you know, distro just for the for the EPC. And um, I did my own my own theming, and um, got a little text pe- text penguin on the CPU. That bezel <laughs> though, Michael. I know that. I, bezel. Know, bezel. Yeah, I know you love bezels. That, that's, yes. that's yeah. a bezel inside a bezel. Yeah. That's bezel inception right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was so cool is uh, I uh, uh, took it to uh, the the next year, 2008, took it to the Southern California Linux Expo, as I go to every year, and there was a window maker booth. <laughs> and that made me nice. so excited that the devs were there, and they were really impressed with my theming and and putting together the Debian uh, distro for it. So, so if anybody else has one of these, can they get Jillix? Is Jillix out <laughs> no, there somewhere? <laughs> no, it isn't. I had thought about releasing it at one time, but I I never you know upgraded it. And it we needs should to release upgrade. it. We charge ninety nine ninety five for it. Then we do monthly updates that also cost money. We'll be rich. Yep. Off yeah. And it will yeah. also require updates as as, as you suppose. Yeah. You're but you have to, to reboot when you do the updates. Can you program that in? And it it will give you four hours of time to, to decide whether or not to reboot yeah <laughs> so yeah but what's really cool uh, there were some very awesome really cool unique things about this laptop for one besides having an intel celeron 900 megahertz cpu which is actually pretty good for a little computer like this it had a four gigabyte ssd and this was actually very important because it was one of the first laptops to use a solid state drive and, and it was actually Amazing. many people's first introduction to the speed that you can get from a SSD. So 
you know, that was very, very um, important. The Intel SSDs actually to buy didn't even come out till the next year. So incredible. Yeah. They, they were so far ahead of their time with that. Yes. And does that have a, did that have a webcam built into it? I can't Yes, tell. it sure does. Wow. <laughs> Hard to it's see crazy. It there, it's probably but... <laughs> better than most of the laptops today's webcams. Actually, it's not bad. It's 640 yeah. by 480, but it, it, it's not yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, for that era, it's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. Yeah. And so, you know, and obviously it's a seven inch screen. And that was the hardest thing for me because I do have not very good vision. <laughs> right. So, that and is a were... very small screen, like tablet size. To, yeah. In today's standard, right? how the, the frame is kind of this the same size as the, the bezels are the same size as the screen. Yes. Put it all together. There's a great a comment in the chat, uh, the live chat bit shady says, I love that dark theme on the netbook. Oh wait, that's the bezel. Yeah. <laughs> that's the bezel. That's, that's funny. <laughs> bezels at least two inches thick for those who aren't watching the video and listening to the podcast itself. I would say it's about two inches, right? Across. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two that's inches. a big bezel. <laughs> yeah, I had to hook up an external uh, VGA monitor to it so I can install Jellix. <laughs> but think about <laughs> that. Nice. It actually has the ports to do that. Yeah. Yes. What kind of ports does that come with? Because oh, uh, yeah. the Apple people will be drooling out here. No, amazing for such a small little bitty laptop. It had three. It has three USB 2.0 ports and then a VGA monitor, a headphone jack, microphone input, an SD card reader that you can install another OS on. And mine has puppy Linux on it. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and um it, it ethernet so yeah it wasn't just wireless so and was and, the battery uh, removable out of curiosity yes it's got a removable battery Man. and it's like we've come so far but also gone <laughs> so far backwards and other yeah, things removable batteries ports you know yeah every time we we have a a segment for jill's treasure hunt we get to enjoy <laughs> some like fantastic hardware that she has uh, just uh, bringing us to to us and also disappointment with how the hardware is going in right, right now <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> Well, I, I did have fun on Jellix. I, I updated Firefox so I could do some show notes on it. <laughs> nice. nice. So you, used you, know, the, you used the, the the netbook for working on the show this week. Yes. Nice. <laughs> and that's what one of our patrons yeah, said. They said they love that Jill's stuff actually works and that Jill actually uses this, which I think really does make this unique amongst other people who just have collections because you put this stuff into production, you use it, you enjoy mm -hmm. it still for yeah. its original purpose. And that is very unique. It makes it more fun in my opinion. Yeah. I still sometimes take this to our, you know, Linux chicks LA meetings, you know, when, when we could have them in IRL before the pandemic, but <laughs> I will continue to do so because you know, when I, when I first got this and brought this thought, brought this to scale everyone was around me because i was one yeah. of the first people to have it right. <laughs> so. well it's kind of cool because it's aged to the point where now if you brought it to an event everyone would be around yeah, you again to right. see it yeah it's so yeah. cool so it's kind of like it's it's come right full circle I love yeah it. and you know they came out later of course with other models that were you know bigger screens and more powerful and had a better battery but this is still the beloved the very first one Man, Azus, can we come back and do this again with an yes. uh, updated model with Linux on it by default? I mean, that oh. would be sweet. We, yeah, it's come bezels. full circle. Yeah, it's come full, full circle. We'd like to have a new mini, you know, laptop, mm -hmm. you know, because one thing that, that killed the EPCs was, was the ultra portables and, you know, the tablets. And, yeah. And it, 
and, and that whole movement, but it was because of the EPC that, you know, spurred that of, of small portable Very systems cool. that you can take with you. And now people want little laptops again. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, the ultra books are kind of like an interesting space because they took away the space for the netbook, but the netbook itself is like all it needed to do is just transition to what it was. Because if you have like the thing about the netbook, they, they could now implement a, like an LTE modem or something. And it could be like a, like a combination of a laptop and a tablet, but it'd be not like a transformer that, you know, or both options are not that good, but having a single thing that has uh, a, just it doesn't even have to be a detacher. I don't want it to be detached, really, just to be able to like flip over and become like a notebook kind of thing you draw on. That would be a, a, a mm-hmm. form factor I think a lot of people would be excited to see. Yeah. Well, very cool. That yeah. is awesome, Jill. Oh, I love my little Asus EPC 701. <laughs> That's I'm very also cool. uh, very happy you put covered on the show because I now know what the E's stand for in EPC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that A lot of people before. didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> I also have to question, is it EPC or EPC? EPC. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to put it like the, the, the flare. I got it. EPC. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> All right. It works yeah. with Jill perfectly. <laughs> So more on mixing the past with the future. There's another thing, Jill, even though we're uh, moving on from the treasure hunt that I have a feeling you have a lot of experience with. And this really caught my attention. The reason it caught my attention is the innovation occurring around the operating system space spawning around Unix just never ceases to stop amazing me the more and more that I learn. This week, some news hit about an OS that many of you might have never heard of, I'm sure some of you have heard of, called Plan 9 from Bell Labs. And they transferred as of March 23rd, 2021 from Bell Labs to the Plan 9 Foundation and relicensed it all under the MIT license, which makes it available for others to use and play with. So what is Plan 9? I started playing with this this week. And there's some really cool things that they were doing in here. But the team that created Unix also developed this operating system here. And I don't know, Jill, I got to leave it to you here at this point. What was your experience? Because you've used this, you've played with this Mm -hmm. in the past, right? With Plan 9. Oh, yeah. So I originally had it installed on one of my old SparkStation 5 computers many moons ago. (laughs) And um, in the mid 90s, actually, I just wanted to play with it and see what it was all about because I was running, you know, Unix and IRX and and all the different Unixes and BSD at the time. And, uh, and uh, you know, Linux came along, of course. Right. What was so amazing, it was, you know, Plan 9 was actually really a progressive framework for distributed compute computing and so ahead of its time. Okay, so here's what's cool about it is you can mount another computer's hardware into your own file system and stream data to it as though it were local, way ahead of its time. You can mount, you you can actually mount another machine's sound card and stream audio data to it, and it'll play on that machine's speakers. And you can also do that with network cards and other devices. This is, you know, what we're doing now with um, NetJack, with audio, and, um, you know, with uh, using Docker 
So it was really, you know, the birth of. Uh, and to kind of explain that. So it was designed to make a network of computers geographically separated all the way back then function as a single system. And as I understood it, I could be yeah. a little off here, but you could have a bunch of different terminals and then another terminal acting as your file storage by itself for all of those others, which maybe by today's standards isn't super impressive, but yeah. back then was quite innovative when you think oh, yeah. about it. I yeah. mean, it was innovative for multiple decades, even from them. Yeah. Like we, we, we got that at some point, but that was, you know, that, that was at least a decade ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. And it really was the precursor to the Docker, Docker architecture. Docker's a little different, but that whole idea came from this operating system. It also, uh, the in infrastructure for Plan 9 also made it into the Google ecosystem with the Go language. So, you know, a, a lot of people knew how important and progressive this OS was and, um, you know, had, had a lot of functions that classic Unix did not have. And it's still in use today, apparently, as an example of the OS today, Plan 9's distributed design currently lives in on the current Nokia Bell Labs projects, such as Worldwide Streams, where stream processing mm -hmm. programs are deployed across a network of compute nodes. They're geographically spread across 5G Edge and Core Clouds there. So I guess the question is, what would this be used for now that it's kind of out there in the open source? Obviously, first of all, huge thanks to all of the awesome people who kept this thing alive. Because there are a lot of people mm -hmm. just donating their time, keeping this operating system going. Now it's a re release to the general public. Is there some use cases here, Jill, that you could think of for Plan 9 in the future? Oh, yeah, definitely. For a more bare, bare metal approach to networking. Yeah, so you 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 kind of, you don't have to always use the cloud, you know? <laughs> nice, yeah. I know a lot yeah. of people that would make them happy to have that kind of yeah. hybrid, right? Where you've got some yes. bare metal and some cloud in there. Yeah, exactly. Put two together. And another major thing was uh, was their text editor. It was called um, Acme. It was way ahead of its time and so powerful. And not only could you code with it, but you can open several text windows at the same time, like modern Linux text ed editors. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and run a terminal from it. You could view docs in it and use the web command to view, view web pages. And you can even play some games in it like tic-tac-toe. And yeah. but so, it, I mean, I have to ask yeah. if it's, if it's the Acme text editor, if you made a typo, did it drop an anvil on you? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's good. A dad joke. Well done, Michael. Well done. <laughs> that was good. So Jill, two of the yeah. things that really impressed me messing with plan nine out there was one, when you go to open a window, it actually lets you draw that window almost immediately. Yes. And so I thought this was really innovative. I don't know how to explain this in voice, but essentially, let's say you're going to open a browser. Instead of just opening a window there and then you go to resize it, what it does is it gives you basically like a resize icon and you draw that window out what size you want it as soon as you've clicked open and that's the size it is, which I thought that's really, really cool. Uh, and, and innovative there. And then the other thing is if you do an LS in the file system readout in the terminal and you right click on one of the readouts, like let's say it's a PDF file, it will open it from there. You can basically tell it to open from that list. You don't have to do another command to open that file. And I thought that would be something I would love to yeah, actually have in Linux today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here is actually it running so of um, course jill has plan nine on a pc <laughs> ready to go to demonstrate 
everyone, this week's going to be one you definitely want to watch on YouTube or library to get the, uh, the visuals. So what I here. don't know is how you can make it oh. show. Okay, camera. <laughs> yeah, generally, uh, turning that down, maybe the contrast up will help some. So, yeah. what are some of your favorite features, though, of using this OS? Okay, so um, here's what's cool: is is the window manager is actually called Rio, and uh, the the shell is the RC shell, and it's a lot like Bash. Um, the, you could there were web browsers; they had their own. Uh, one that they created for Plan 9 called um, Abaco, and it was a graphical web browser. I bet it wasn't based on Chromium. No, no. It, <laughs> it's, it's already a winner in my book. <laughs> it was uh, discontinued a while ago, but you could also use links and Mothra and the I text and graphical browsers, right. <laughs> you know. Mothra Classic. is a very current callback to the new Godzilla yeah. movie. Yes. yes. Not in it, but still. <laughs> take, t- taking stuff from the past and making it, it new old. again. It's yeah. <laughs> the show's just tying together like like we meant it to. We- yeah. This this <laughs> screen is just not working very well on the camera, is it? And like classic Unix window managers, you really need a three-button mouse. And it isn't like, you know, using a traditional window manager. So you just got to know that when you start it. And yeah, like Ryan was say- saying, you right-click on the desktop, and a menu for resize, move, delete, and hide windows actually pops up. And when you right-click on the desktop and click New in the menu, that lets you drag to create a box, which becomes the new window for the RC shell. I just love that. And Yes. And then from there, you can launch your applications. And then middle-click brings up another menu, but, you know, don't fret. Uh there are actually text instructions for using the window manager, Rio. Uh, it actually pops up when it boots. So, and actually it's showing right here. You know, what's amazing to me is that there is so much innovation left in these older operating systems <laughs> that if you run and maintain a distro today, instead of just looking at what Mac's doing today or what Windows is doing oh, today, go back and look at these older operating systems like this that were doing things that I would love to have some of these features they're showing here right now in a distro in Linux today that were from the 80s. It, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, look for the past to see some cool things to implement for the future. That, that's what my time playing with Plan 9 really sunk into me is that this is a pretty innovative operating system. Yeah, especially <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to work for showing, but maybe you could send some uh, pictures to Michael yes. and he can incorporate them into the Absolutely. video. Yeah. yeah, and that way people will be able to get to, to see some of the Plan 9 or download it yourself because it's out there now if you want to play with it. Um, but it's definitely something I would say it took me a little while to get used to how to control everything, yeah. the, the right clicking in it. But once I understood it, really, really cool stuff. Yeah, so I'll definitely get you some pictures, Michael. I was earlier, of course, it worked on my camera, but right now it's not working. <laughs> that's, that's the wonders <laughs> of live demos. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. But yeah, this is actually really cool. And uh, I think that we can kind of, now that it's, it's, it's in the new realm of, uh, you know, like it's been rebooted, sort of, so to speak. Not exactly, but we could call it Plan 9 from Cyberspace. Yes. Well, this was apparently <laughs> named. Um, so 
It's a reference to Plan 9 is a reference to Ed Wood's 1959 cult science fiction Z movie Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I have never seen. It sounds terrible and I can't wait to watch oh, it. It's it's <laughs> touted as one of the worst science fiction films oh, ever. I'm going to love it. <laughs> so, For those who don't know, I love terrible movies. Michael, terrible unfortunately, movies. has learned this. And so the worst the movie, the, hard way. the more I enjoy it, I cannot wait to check out this cult classic that it was named after. There. I wanted to ask you, Michael, though, before we move on from this topic, the MIT license, you know more about licensing than me. Is this a pretty good license to be for this to be relicensed under? Does this allow people to utilize this extensively? I mean, this is kind of like a long argument in terms of like which one is is whatever. It's definitely a good license for this to be done in terms of like the permissiveness and making it being able to do all sorts of stuff. Now, this is a longer conversation we could have in a bigger a different episode if you want to do that but the MIT and the BSD license they are more permissive than GPL license but the difference is they also allow you to do things like take the code and turn it proprietary so I got you. that's why yeah. the MIT and the BSD license have this uh, kind of asterisk next to them saying they are great but they also allow too much uh, and that's why people prefer the GPL and stuff like it where it does require you to keep it open and to keep it in the same license and sort of stuff like that. So it, it, it does make sense for them to uh, do MIT in this case because their their goal is to kind of like, uh, you know, present it in the sense of like, here, do whatever you want with it. Uh, but in terms of like mm. license versus license, there are arguments for both sides. Gotcha. Well, the good news is that that Plan 9 OS Bunny Glenda is showing it up fine. That's on the de- the desktop. Is that their mascot, Bunny yes. Glenda? That's that's their mascot, and um, it's our 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 Nick's geek Easter bunny today. Because <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's Easter. Nice. We are planning wow. Easter. That's perfect. Yeah. We, it, you could say that we plan nine that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the dad jokes. Those those are only for hardware addicts, Michael. No, not in this situation. We we have yeah. to we have to embrace the dad jokes when it's so perfect. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jill, for showing us a quick demo of that. And for those interested, we'll have a link in the show notes so you can go check out Plan 9. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, and if you're not familiar with that, it is a fantastic way to keep your online accounts secure. How does it do that? Well, it's, it does so by creating tools. So for example, it has a tool to create a secured vault that stores all of your passwords. It also has automatically generation of those passwords so that you don't have to come up with them yourself, and you can even automatically fill in those passwords for you on login forms. So that is a wonderful thing. Uh, the password manager. Michael, just real quick, how current is this? Because Facebook was just announced today of 500,000 accounts were five, it's 500,000 or 500. I, I don't know. I don't a lot, know. a lot, a lot of accounts have been basically compromised. So this would be, if you're one of those people, number one, stop using Facebook. But if you still use Facebook, you could use Bitwarden and create a really complex password because you're going to need to change it if you are using yes. it like right now. And there's also people who may be using their password for Facebook on other places. And this is a fantastic example of why you should never do that because you should yeah. have a different password for every account on every mm-hmm. website just in case situations like that where the information is leaked would, would not backfire because you have a different password. So it only would affect that particular Website. Now, it wouldn't be ideal for that website either, but at least it doesn't 
hurt other situations and other yeah. accounts. And our community corrected me. It's 500 million. So, you know, just a small amount. Just a small amount. So Bitwarden solves all of these by creating these tools. And also they make it possible to use all of these tools, like the generation, the automatic filling in, the, the vault itself. All of these are available on multiple devices. So you can use it on your web browser and your desktop or even your des- desktop application or mobile apps and even on the command line if you like to do it. And in addition to having ability to store it in a secured vault, it also encrypts that data on your local device before it ever leaves your device so that you know you're the only person who has access to that data. And I've been using Bitwarden for years now, and the reason I use it is because it's one, it's a great set of features that does everything I want it to do, and it's also open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means that the features and security and all of that stuff can be vetted and improved by the community. And they also go beyond that and do third-party security firms where they bring in third-party security firms to audit the code to make sure it is as safe as possible. So if you want to be like us and use a fantastic password manager, then check out bitwarden.com slash dealin to get started with your free account. And I think you want to check out their premium account because they also provide a ton of great extra features at a ridiculously reasonable price that is less than $1 per month. That's right, less than $1 per month or $10 per year will get you one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And you basically get to benefit of getting great software and also supporting a company that truly gets open source. Because by signing up for that $10 per year premium account, you let them know that you appreciate them supporting the open source and uh, ecosystem and also supporting the Destination Linux podcast. Again, go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So in this case, we're talking about this episode, we're talking about taking old hardware or old software and bringing it new. Let's talk about the future of Linux with Wayland because Wayland is making major gains this year in Linux with Fedora and Ubuntu, both using it as default display servers in their latest release, like the Fedora 34 KDE edition is getting Wayland by default. Ubuntu 2104 is getting Wayland by default. And the news gets even better now that one of the major gripes of Wayland has a plugin to fix screen recording capabilities. Now, this This was huge. This is huge. (laughs) This is actually much more than it seems because it's like, oh, it's just one application working on Wayland. Well, but in order to make this work, they also have to do a lot of stuff in the back end, which is what makes it very, very cool. So without further ado, OBS Studio now works on Wayland just by installing a new plugin. And the new version of OBS 27 is going to have Wayland by default. So this allows you to now capture monitors and windows with OBS. And we should take a moment to thank all of the awesome people who make this really? work possible. Yes, uh, like the the main developer of this of this pro- this effort, uh, George Stavarkis. I'm I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, says that th- this required some work throughout the stack from making Mutter able to handle DMA b- uh, BUF buffers to Pipewire to improving the GTK development por- desktop portal for Flatpak portals. Uh, to creating a plugin for OBS Studio, to fixing bugs in Pipewire. It was a considerable amount of work. So with OBS Studio now working, the chances that Wayland will become the replacement to X11 is getting closer and closer than it ever has been. And I am so excited that mm-hmm. this is becoming a thing because one, uh, the main stop, re- like stopping point and breaking point for me to not use Wayland is OBS. And now that that's there, 
I am so excited. Well, I mean, this is one of those things where, we'll be you know, it's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and go, well, if Waylon had this, then I would use it. But it takes some really smart people to get in there and actually do that work so that that stuff gets fixed. The work here, when you look at it and you break that down, that they basically had to do all of these different workarounds and patches and fixes and plugins to get this to work, shows you how complex this was. Oh, yeah. But because it was open source, we could get these really brilliant, awesome people to work on it, number one, because OBS is open source. And we could get in there and have this fix in place, which is one of the biggest reasons why I don't use Wayland because I do content creation and other things. But I know a lot of people use OBS for classes and teaching and capturing videos. It's just endless use cases. It's one of the best software. When you talk about where is open source absolutely dominate? OBS is one of those examples <laughs> up there, right? It dominates anything exactly. else third party out there. It's one of the best pieces of software uh, out from an open source standpoint to kind of put on that pedestal. And so having it work with Wayland is a really big deal for a lot of us. And the, I think the only thing that really is left to do at this point is just to kind of button up, improve some of the stability, not that it's unstable. Uh, obviously, a lot of people I've seen the comments from Fedora 34 saying, giving lots of compliments about how stable it is. But from a gaming performance, there's some issues there at times with different games yeah. and stuff. Um, so I, I think it's really just buttoning up now. All the major things that we've been waiting for to happen in Wayland have happened. So I know there's probably a lot of people who've been in the community a lot longer than me that have been waiting for Wayland for over 10 years uh, going, <laughs> yeah, okay, I hear that every year, but I really do think this is it. This is the moment where Wayland's going to start becoming that default. Well, I think it yeah. really goes to, sh to show you like the amount of effort making this happen is so impressive. And we just have to acknowledge the fact that like we, we talked about the, in order to get Wayland on support for Wayland for, I mean, OBS to have support for Wayland is important, but also the work in order to do all these things. Like we mentioned the DMA BUF buffer stuff or the GPU memory stuff like that, like that, that itself is so important in addition to the pipewire stuff, to the flat pack portals and all of these things, these needed to exist in order for this to work. And all of the people involved in these different projects making this possible so that uh, George can come in and put it all together to make this uh, functionality be able to be added to OBS Studio. And that is just, uh, it's amazing. It's a great example, not only for you know OBS being a wonderful open source project, but also just the collaboration that is going into making this happen mm -hmm. shows the power that open source offers. Yeah, it's, you know, so amazing here, you know, getting OBS to work, you know, like you were saying, people don't realize how important that is because that's a lot of the WebRTC infrastructure and um, we need to get that working, you know, completely. And it's, it's getting closer and closer. So definitely. Oh, that's a really good point you just made there, Jill. And I love this community member, Zoe, saying it's rewriting the bones of Linux. It will take time, but it's worth it in the end. Mm. I think that's a fantastic way to sum it up. Very that is a good, good point. And uh, real quick, I just I, I learned this because of this news. The uh, Flatpak portals don't require Flatpak to use the portals. And that is a very, very cool thing that the Flatpak mm -hmm. wow. did. Mm -hmm. so, you can, so they're using the Flatpak portals to make the connections between System, system calls and the OBS and the Wayland structure and all that, which I, it also turns out you can use the Flatpak portals inside of snaps and app images, apparently, which is very, very interesting. So that's just the the, the effort and of all the different pieces. It's so, so cool. And just a really quick note, this is something 
that is related to more specifically the OBS news for 27 that's coming soon that I, I just, I just love it. And it seems like it's not a big deal, but it's such a big deal. Undo mm-hmm. and redo is being added to OBS. And I am so excited about that. So is that like for your, <laughs> your 10,000 scenes you yes, maintain? If it you means mess one if up, I you screw can undo up one of the scenes, okay. we don't have to rebuild 50 to get it back. Wow. Yes. Wow. Amazing. That is good news. It's <laughs> the simple things sometimes. It's the simple things in life. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the simple things and keeping with the theme of this show, I've been reading this book lately uh, called Ready Player One. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I love this book. And I know there's a movie out and I haven't watched it yet. It's in my queue. But the book revolves a lot around gaming. And there's obviously a lot of callbacks to arcades out there. And Eric from the Pseudo Show mentioned a gem that I just could not resist. And I've been playing mm-hmm. with kind of in this throwback world called Red Hat Arcade or arcade.redhat.com if you want to go to the site and check it out. And the statement on the site states, video games are not commonly known for being open source, either themselves or in their development. Red Hat would like to see that change. And this year we launched Red Hat Arcade, where you can play open source games built by Red Hatters (laughs) using open source tools, assets, and engines in there. And these games are fun. If you're an old school arcade player or you're brand new to video games and don't play them generally, check these games out here. I got stuck in Podescape. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, stuck. I was here just kind of like I was going to do a quick demo of everyone. And the next thing I know, it's been like 15 minutes and I can't <laughs> stop playing Bot Escape. Like the, these are the old school addictive games that we used to love growing up when we had arcades and malls. I know you kids won't understand anything I just said there. It's probably like <laughs> a foreign language. We used to have these arcades we'd go to and cabinets and put quarters. Nothing. No. <laughs> no okay. No. Uh, but this is really cool. You can go online in your browser and and check out these games here. But couple things that really stood out to me. One is I love seeing Red Hat commitment to gaming because it's one of the most important industries out there. I know a lot of not everybody games and that's okay. You're talking about an industry bigger than movies and music combined. So this is something where if Linux is going to dominate, if Linux is going to take off, we have to take gaming seriously. And I think having the big companies, the big pillars out there supporting gaming and doing things like this is, is a really big deal. Oh yeah, when uh, I actually uh, saw this when they announced it during the Red Hat Summit, and I was uh, I was kind of skeptical skeptical about like would these be where are they just kind of like throwaways whatever they are quite fun. Uh, Pod Escape yeah. is a good example. I hadn't tried that prior because I got stuck into the uh, pity about Earth game. Yeah, that's where I got stuck. Yeah. Oh, you, everyone here got stuck in one of these. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, that that the pity yeah. about Earth is like a game. It's like a it's like sort of tower defense, except you're defending the Earth. And every time you get, you know, you are successful in doing so, it gets harder and harder and harder. And the whole point about it, it's like the universe is sick of Earth, and you're trying to yeah. save the universe. <laughs> It's such a fun game. Uh, then I then today when we talked about it, you said that you got stuck in Podescape. I was like, I have to try Podescape now. And then I got stuck uh, in the, this morning playing Podescape. Nice. I couldn't escape the Podescape apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jill, you said you got stuck in the pity about Earth as well. Yeah, yeah. That was a. It was really fun. I I like how it got harder and harder. You know, it wasn't just a simple game. There's actually a lot of really good mechanics in there. <laughs> well, I love the, the tagline for Pity About Earth. Most of the games have like a full descriptor on them, but Pity About Earth just says, humanity, I am sick of you. Hashtag yeah. 2020. Yours truly the universe. Yes. Like, 
brilliant. It's a, brilliant. It's a wonderful way of describing the game. And when you the, the moment you start playing, you're like, yeah, I understand that tagline. It, it works. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny about the pot escape thing is that it, it, it started getting harder and harder. And when you said you can't, you couldn't stop playing the game. Uh, this morning when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, just one more try. And I said that at least seven times before. I was like, okay, I got to do the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's also cool is next to each game is a contribute button. And when you click that, it takes you to the GitHub code for each of those games. So if you were interested in getting into gaming, if you have kids that are interested in getting into gaming, what a great way to kick them off and contributing to a game that's completely open source and being able to see all of the inner workings of a game, the code from beginning to end, sitting out there for anyone to check out, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So this week, we're going to spotlight a security auditing tool called Linus. Linus? I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but it's L-Y-N-I-S. I assume it's Linus, but I'm not sure. So You know what we need to do? We need to just start saying words really quick when you don't know how to pronounce them. That way, nobody knows if we mispronounced it. <laughs> I, like it. I like it. I like it. So today, we're going to be talking about a spotlight, uh, a security auditing tool called and <laughs> is a battle-tested security tool for systems running Linux, Mac OS, and Unix-based operating systems. So not only does it perform extensive health scans of your systems to support system hardening and compliance testing, but it gives recommendations on how to fix the issues it finds as well. That is a very important piece of that should not be a, a shocking thing because a lot of security tools are just telling you, here's the problems we found. Good luck. And this one is a, a nice way of giving you the recommendations to fix it, which is fantastic. So the abilities of this software includes security auditing, compliance testing for PCI, HIPAA, and so on, uh, penetration testing, vulnerability detection, system hardening, and so much more. Uh, so if you're interested in checking out, and I'll support, and you can also check out the plugins for more extensive testing. It's a it's a great tool to have on your system if you are interested in doing securing of, of systems hard, or hardening your servers and all that sort of stuff. So you'll find links to this in the show notes below. And that's L Y N I S L Y N I S. That's that's what I said. For sure. Yeah. Bless you, Michael. That's not what you're saying. So. <laughs> So our tip of the week this week, we're continuing our coverage on easy projects you can do at home with your $35 or less Raspberry Pi. In prior weeks, we talked about how to set up digital signage, a home VPN, and Docker. And this week, we're going to talk about setting up for your family a Minecraft server. All you need for this project is go to their website, minecraft.net slash download slash server, download the jar file. You're going to open that up. You're going to copy it to path. You're going to go into sudo su here, and then you're just going to unpack this. We'll have the commands there. It's just four steps to set up the server on a Raspberry Pi. Literally, mm-hmm. just follow the on-screen instructions. You're going to have a Minecraft server set up uh, once you set that up. And your entire family then, off of a Raspberry Pi, can connect into that Minecraft server and start playing Minecraft. This is a really awesome... It's like Legos for kids these days. If you don't know what Minecraft is, you need to definitely go check it out because it's basically the digital equivalent of Legos. You can create all kinds of amazing things in this. And I think it'd just be a ton of fun to have a server running up for Minecraft. And how amazing is it that you can run an entire server off a little Raspberry Pi for 35 bucks? Yeah, it's actually, it's quite interesting when you you describe it as like the digital Legos thing. When I first heard of Minecraft years and years ago, I never understood why it was appealing. Like it, you and me both. it <laughs> yeah. looked 
really dated. Like it's it's a new game that looks instantly dated by decades, and you're yep. like, uh, I don't get it. And then when I started looking into the technology, I was like, oh, okay, voxels instead of pixels. That's int- I still don't get it. And then I actually watched some people t- playing the game and showing the value of it. I'm like, oh, it's Legos. That was my. That was the same impression I had of it until I started playing it, and then I was there for hours and hours and hours. But these kids these days won't get off my lawn, and they play Roblox, which is very similar. I look at it and go, <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but I've actually played Roblox and still don't get it. But Minecraft is one that I do get, and I think there's tons of educational value in it in being a game. So it's kind of the best yeah. of both worlds. The kids don't know they're learning, but they are. Yeah, that. that's 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 yeah. how you get them. Yeah. That's you how you teach them. them. Teach them a lot by letting them play a game that they think is just a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We set. We actually set uh, a Minecraft server up, Raspberry Pi server, at one of our Linux Chicks LA meetings, and that was the the project, uh, their first introduction to the Raspberry nice. Pi to set up a server, and then we all played. <laughs> and it runs it well, right? Multiple it runs people it really can connect. Nicely. A little thirty five dollar computer, amazing. Yeah, we had Absolutely twenty people amazing. connecting. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, love your faces. If you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful people here with us right now. You get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings, Destination Linux, and you get to hang out with us in our super secret, ultra huge (laughs) virtual stadium behind the scenes. Huge. It has so many voxels involved. Yeah. (laughs) So many. So you you want to bef- definitely become a part of the community and become a patron by be able to join the recording stadium and get the uh, the weekly after show hangout. Uh, but in addition, we also have every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. We are live at dealinlive.com. So this is an extra thing that everyone is invited to join and watch the show as we record it each and every week. And we can't say, say, wait to see you in the chat every week live. And in addition to that, you can also go to another fantastic domain that it's dlnstore.com to pick up some awesome swag. Oh, like this, Michael? Mm-hmm. Exactly like that. Like the shirt swag. that Ryan has and Jill has <laughs> and even the one I have too. There's so yes. many great things at dlnstore.com. You got, yes, exactly. You got to catch them all. It's like the <laughs> Pokemon of, a, of apparel. So t- t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers. Uh, we got some uh, more coming soon. So check it out. Uh, dealinstore.com. There's so much really cool stuff there that you, uh, you'll you definitely want to collect them all. And make sure to check out all our great shows here on Destination Linux. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN yeah. Extend. Hardware Addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. And I was just on the last episode with Matt. <laughs> it was so good. So good. It was so much better than my episode with Matt, Jill. No. Why did you have no, to No, yours so... was better. No, not even close. We'll I'll, I'll, I'll be the judge. I'll be the there judge. There you go. <laughs> oh, so go to DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone. See you next week. I really like how you had that you had you made sure to keep the dab in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, come on, where is it? Where is it? Come on, you can dab. Like I'm not gonna not dab now. Wait, so okay, real quick, yeah, serious question. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. Deal in store. Do we need NFTs in the deal in store? <laughs> Do we need to put some non fungible 
uh, deal in punks or yes, whatever for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, DL punks yeah. In, in in for NFTs. <laughs> you can't stop the fire. You can't stop. I don't don't ask. I don't know where that came from. It just wow, man, came out. That was beautiful, actually. I know. I know. Whoa. <laughs> Um, I've learned something about Michael Jill that anytime I sing, he will pick up from it immediately. Like not even joking. Like I always come on and do some stupid singing thing. And Michael just without a, missing a beat, kick right in and start singing. It's a sign of a good friend. I feel like, I think you know, so too. I think you're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have the same talent time, in singing huh? too. Yeah. The same talent of not much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not when you're not when you're bending over, (laughs) touching your toes or whatever you're doing. I was messing with the mixer, which is over here. Uh, Is it it good now? Yeah. yeah, Okay. Cool. 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 What is happening? All right. Cool. 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 Can we start? Yeah. 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 Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Go. You ready? No. I need another ten minutes. Okay. Cool. I I got. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You gotta give me the countdown, man. I can't start till I get the countdown. Uh, 17, 16, 15, 14. <laughs> starts at that number? That is so stupid. Nobody does that. I don't know. It, it's, 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 it just felt right, okay? It felt right. <laughs> Nobody starts at 17. All right. Um, All right. For reals this time. For reals. For reals. For reals. Okay. Uh, three, two. That's what you're supposed to do in Hollywood where you don't actually count. You just go like... You just look so stupid the way you're <laughs> lifting it. I can't. I can't. You're like... It's not my fault. That's how you do it in Hollywood. I was just trying to set the tone in a professional DL manner. DL goes to Hollywood. Where that is the movie? We gotta go. You gotta three, two, one. Thing. We have speed. That's what we used to say in studios. Oh. See, we're recording. There you go. You've got the thing. <laughs> Roll one, scene one, take one. Action. Welcome Action. to episode. Dang it, Neil. That was the one. <laughs> that was Neil. Perfect. That was the it. one. I was going to just go and it was going to be perfect. It was going to yeah. be the best show. Now, anything I do is just going to be a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tribute. I love that. All right.